Hello, beloved, and uh, welcome to this week's Bible study. And in our weekly Bible study, we are continuing to look at the titles and the names of Jesus Christ. Now, this is part three already, where we look at a few of the titles and names of Jesus Christ. Obviously, in some of the parts, I'll be able to give you a more, a, f- a few more names than in other parts, because uh, there are quite a few. I mean, the Bible gives us many different titles and names of Jesus now. And uh, the thing is, they all help us to understand a little bit better who Jesus Christ really is. And that's the idea, is that we shall grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means know more and more and more about the amazing salvation that he accomplished on our behalf, but also not just grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also in the knowledge of who he is and the names and the titles that is given in the scripture, uh, these descriptions that we find about Jesus Christ. Obviously, those descriptions, basically, and names and titles helps us to know more about Christ so that we can most probably sometimes even understand a little, little bit better why Jesus did what he did while he was on this earth. Right, so with that being said, let's uh, close our eyes in a word of prayer. Father, it's such a privilege to come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you very much for the privilege to study or to get to know the names and titles and descriptions of Christ we find in Scripture. Uh, Father, I pray that as we work our way through these titles, through these uh, names and descriptions, I pray, Father, that it will be a blessing to us, that we will be able to grow in our knowledge of who Christ is. And at the end of the day, those things that we can apply to our own lives, uh, that we will do that. In this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, let's start off with the first one for this Bible study, and that is that Jesus Christ is described in the Bible as the bridegroom. Very appropriate description of Christ. Uh, in, In Matthew chapter 9, verse 15, we read the following. Uh, It's actually from verse 14, if I'm not mistaken, but let me read this. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? So here you have the disciples of John the Baptist that comes to Jesus, and remember, they were following Judaism, the old way of doing things. And the old way of doing things was that very often, the, the Pharisees would insist, obviously, um, that the people, the, the, the Jews, would fast. So they would do it. And the, the disciples of John, they were obviously very serious about their religion. And because they were so serious, it speaks about the fact that they and the Pharisees often fasted. Okay? It was part of what they did. And then this came up as they looked at the disciples of Jesus Christ They didn't fast. It's as if they didn't really care about these traditions of old. Then we get to verse 15. It says, And Jesus said to them, This is now to the disciples of John the Baptist. He said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom are with them? This is amazing. So Jesus calls his disciples friends. And then he says, Can these friends mourn while the bridegroom are actually still with them. He continues to say, But the days will come 
when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. So there's going to be a time in the future when the disciples of Jesus Christ will also fast. But now, while Jesus is there, while they can see him face to face, while they can eat with him, while they can have fellowship with him, while they can learn from him, while they can see what he was doing, while they could observe the the, uh, amazing miracles that Jesus did, as long as that happens, they don't actually have to fast because they are with the bridegroom. It's very interesting that Jesus already calls himself the bridegroom here. Right? Because this same bridegroom, remember, is going to die for the sins of his people. He's going to be buried and he's going to raise, rise again from the dead after three days. And then he's going to ascend into heaven. But as he ascends into heaven, if he gets into heaven, remember, if he's the bridegroom of the disciples here on earth, then obviously Jesus is still going to be the bridegroom in heaven. Okay? Because remember, later on, and we're going to go through that verse just now, later on, Jesus is going to be the bridegroom at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Because Jesus is the Lamb, and he's also the bridegroom, so there's going to be a wedding feast in heaven, and Jesus will be there, and his bride will be there. And obviously the bride are those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The church, but we can actually say, All believers over all time, those in the Old Testament who looked towards the the Messiah that was to come, and they had faith in Messiah that was to come, Uh, even the disciples and the church who, who, uh, how can I say, looked at Jesus, not that Messiah is coming, but at Jesus as the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies, and then also um, we are going to see Jesus in the future. Okay, in the future, he obviously he's going to be king, but he's also described here as the bridegroom. Okay, actually, so beautiful. Right, so when Jesus describes himself as the bridegroom, he says there will be a time. That's when he died, and he ascends into heaven, and and now all of a sudden, the bridegroom is in heaven, no longer on this earth with his, with his bride, but he's in heaven, but he is the bridegroom. Okay, so he says, and when the bridegroom is taken away, when he enters into heaven, when he leaves this world, when he is taken away by this cloud, then they will fast. And why will they fast? Because he's no longer here. They will have such a desire to have fellowship with Christ. They will have such a desire to to speak to him and learn from him and, and so on that they will actually start fasting. Okay. Obviously also as an instruction of Christ that there are times that we have to fast. It's good for us to fast. Just don't fast like the, the hypocrites do, you know, putting on long faces so that everybody can see, oh, I'm hungry. That's not what fasting is about. Uh, clean yourself, wash your hands, do wash your hair and, and, and make yourself um, acceptable to people and move around because you're not there or you're not fasting so that people can see you you're fasting because it is out of either obedience to the lord or it is because you want to not going to say abstain from things in this world that so that at the end of the day you can be in his presence enjoy his fellowship with the lord uh, and and not have things of this world distract you from spiritual things all right now it's interesting 
when you get to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, I'd like to ver- read verse 23 to 27. I'm, I'm kind of just sticking to the, the, this theme now, or sticking to, to what Jesus is called in the Bible when he is called the, um, the bridegroom or the husband of, of the church. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 to 27, describes Jesus as um, very interesting. Let's read it. It says, For the husband is the head of the, lo- the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Right now, in the first place, the husband, the physical husband on this earth, a man that is married to a woman, so it's the husband and the wife, uh, in Scripture, it teaches us here in Ephesians chapter 5, it says the husband is the head of the wife. Okay, that's it. It's a biblical, sound, solid principle, instruction, whatever you want to call it, that the husband is the head of the wife. And what does Paul compare this with? The fact that the husband is the head of the wife. He says, as also Christ is the head of the church. Wow, this is amazing. So as Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of the wife. Wow, that is that is really, really important. Then he says, obviously, and he is, that's Jesus, is the Savior of the body. So he's the, he's the Savior of the whole body of Christ. He's the one who saves people, and he becomes the husband of the church, who is basically the body of Christ. Right, then we get to verse 24. It says, and therefore... Just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. All right. So the church is supposed to be subject to Christ in, in, in everything. Uh, and why? Because Jesus is the head of the church. And as the head of the church, he has all the right in the world to tell the church what he wants. All right. And the church has to submit. Okay. That's it. A wife has to submit, and the reason why a wife has to submit is because that's the way that God intended it. All right, so now he continues. Um, In verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. All right, the husband needs to love his wife. And, And by the way, it's speaking here of... The wife submitting to her own husband, not submitting to all men. That's that's not biblical. What needs to happen is that the wife needs to submit to her own husband. Okay, as she would submit herself to the church, ah, to Christ, sorry. She has to submit herself to her own husband, not to all, but her own. Okay, and then what should husbands do? He says, he should. They should love their wife. And how? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So this is a sacrificial love. Now this is a willingness to lay down my life and die for my spouse, to die for my wife. That's how much I love her. Okay? He gave himself. Jesus gave himself for the uh, for his church. And likewise, the husband should likewise um, give himself for her. Right, verse 26 says, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. 
and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. There's the, 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 how can I say, the job of Christ, the, the purpose for Christ being the head of the church, Christ is is, uh, is doing in the church a lot of spiritual things to basically, at the end of the day, uh, present the church to His Father. Spotless, blameless, beautiful. So if the church is that, that, that entity that He prepares and He calls that church, He's basically His wife that He has to get ready and to bring her and to present her to His Father... It means that Jesus is the husband, or Jesus is the, um, the, the bridegroom, and the church is the spouse. The church is the, the wife. It's amazing. And what Christ does for the, for the church is what a husband should do for his wife, and that is uh, he must be instrumental in God's hands that his wife might be sanctified and cleansed. Uh, with the, uh, how can I say that she might uh, that I, he might be able to present her, obviously to Christ as as a glorious wife that doesn't have a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You know that is contamination by sin, by ugly, by wickedness, and that th- kind of thing. Because the husband is going to protect his wife, he go- he's going to love her so much that he would be willing to lay down his life for his wife. Okay. So he he would uh, the husband looks after the, his wife in such a way that that she would be how can I say be brought before Christ before the triune God uh, to be holy and without blemish. That's that's what he wants to do with the church. So husbands, we've got a lot of work. Men, we've got a lot of work uh, to do in the sense of being instrumental in God's hands to. To, to allow God to use us to transform our wives into that which He wants, that which pleases Him. That's a big one, but it is possible. So, Jesus is truly, to the church, Jesus is truly uh, the bridegroom, a husband to the church. And um, the picture of marriage and the picture of Jesus being the the husband of the wife of the, of the church the bridegroom to the church such a beautiful picture and it's something that god willing we can ter- well, I can say take into eternity all right so this is this amazing call of the scripture of the word uh, to to men to be instruments in god's hands to be a true bridegroom to their bride, a true husband to his wife, so that at the end of the day, he can do everything that is necessary to take her and to present her to uh, the the Lord Jesus Christ as a as a beautiful vessel to the honor of God, but also cleansed, uh, um, having professed her sin continuously as it comes up, so that she can become everything that the Father wants her to be. Then Revelation chapter 19, a very interesting passage of Scripture. Revelation chapter 19, we're going to read from verse 6. Uh, it says, And I heard, and as it were, the voice of a great multitude, 
as the sound of many waters and as the sound uh, of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Oh, beautiful picture. Once again, it's part of the vision now of John that John sees and then he writes down what he sees and remember that the revelation uh, of, how can I say, the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, Jesus Christ is going to feature hugely within the book of Revelation. He's going to be on center stage. He's going to be the main attraction. Because that's actually what he is. He's the main attraction of the book of Revelation. And he's revealed to the church so that we can understand who he is. And so many things that we can understand about him. And the one thing is the fact that he is the bridegroom. Now listen to this. He says, And I heard... As it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. That's beautiful, eh? God reigns. Hallelujah. In verse 17, Let us be glad and rejoice, and give Him glory. Give Him glory. And then he says, For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. Wow. Here's the marriage. There's going to be a marriage feast between the Lamb of God, which is Jesus Christ, who came and laid down his life, for his wife, for the church. Okay. Now it says what has happened is his wife has basically made herself ready. She's ready for the marriage feast of the Lamb. Because she knows that she is the bride. She's the bride to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. So beautiful. So the church understands that the church is the wife of the, the bridegroom of Jesus Christ. And she has gone and got herself ready. That just basically tells us that what she's gone to do is to make sure that she is righteous, that she is dressed well yeah, for the occasion, that she's acceptable to Christ. So the lamb has come and his wife has prepared herself or made herself ready. Verse 8 says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine liner is the righteousness or the righteous acts of the saints. So all the righteous acts of the saints allows this, this bride. Now because remember, the, the bride is the church. And the church consists of believers. Not just individual people. Believers. All right. So um, to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. And for the linen, clean and bright is the righteousness of the, the righteous acts of the saints. So, as the saints do righteous acts, her, her, how can I say, the way that she's clothed is just becoming more and more beautiful. The most fine linen, bright and, and fine. Okay? This is actually such a beautiful picture. As the church lives righteously... Every single believer, I, I say now, every believer, as they live a life that is pure, that is beautiful in the sight of God, and as they do this, um, and they become more and more righteous individually, what actually happens is they are 
how can I say, dressed for the marriage feast of the Lamb with fine linen, clean and bright. It's just absolutely beautiful. So then he said, that's the angel, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, what a way to say it. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hmm. You see, that calling is the, how can I say, the affectionate call of the Almighty God to draw people to Him, to salvation through Jesus Christ. So, it says, Blessed are those who are called to the um, supper, uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. And you say, wow. So, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How are we called to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Do you have any idea? Well, we are called the moment I think of Jesus Christ and the Lord places it in my heart that I I look at Him and I have faith in Him and I trust Him and I have a deep-rooted love for Christ that I didn't even know existed. So, wow. And And obviously, as the... The bride does righteous works more and more and more, and they are changed into the image and likeness of Christ. All the the saints, now all the saved ones that are in the church, as they are transformed and and they live live more righteous lives, more righteously. Beloved, they are invited to are how can I say to to be in the wedding. Um, of the living Almighty God, well, Christ Jesus, ne? the supper, the wedding supper of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow, that's so beautiful. And the angel said to John, he said, These are the true sayings of God. Two sayings. True, true, true sayings of God. So, beloved, Isn't that a beautiful name that Jesus has, that he is our bridegroom? And that one day we will be with him forever and that there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, marriage supper of Jesus Christ, and we are going to be the bride. And we will have all the benefits of what it, how can I say, what what it means to be married to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, forever and ever, and we will be with him in heaven. Wow, it's amazing, blood. Absolutely amazing. Let's just look at another name. And that is, um, or, or description, Jesus is described as the cornerstone. The cornerstone. Now, it's so important to have a cornerstone because the cornerstone is basically the stone that keeps a building up. That's basically what a cornerstone is now. So, Jesus says in Matthew twenty-one forty-two, Jesus said to them, Have you never heard or never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Beloved, Jesus is called the chief 
cornerstone. Chief cornerstone. It's so, so amazing. Um, Matthew 21 and verse 42. It's such a beautiful uh, verse. Let me just quickly get there. Because it's it's uh, so important. Um, <clears throat> when we look at this this verse, there's a few things that stands out. It speaks about this uh, the the stone that has been rejected now has become the chief cornerstone. Now this stone that has been rejected refers to Jesus, now, specifically his crucifixion, and then the the restoration. Now of this chief cornerstone basically anticipated his resurrection. So you have the crucifixion of Christ where he comes and he presents himself to his people, to the Jews as the Messiah and they reject him and cry out, crucify him, crucify him. They wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Okay, so at the crucifixion, Jesus is basically this rejected stone. But that's not all. It's when, um, how can I say, when this chief cornerstone is um, restored, there is this, which means that he is, he dies, and then he is resurrected. That's when this this cornerstone, this chief cornerstone, is basically, how can I say, restored. Now. The chief cornerstone to the superficial eye, this basically is a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 22 and 23, and is irrelevant to the parable that precedes this, uh, this specific verse. But it is taken from the Messianic Psalm, or the Messianic, Messianic sorry, Psalm. Jesus cites it to suggest that the Son who was killed and thrown out of the vineyard, is also the chief cornerstone in God's redemptive plan. This is what one of the commentaries tells us. Absolutely beautiful, absolutely amazing. Alright, so, before it, it was that parable of the vineyard. Okay? Um, which is, at the end of the day, very important uh, for us to also just look at. I'm not going to do it now because it's going to take up too much time. All right, so, but it's so beautiful what uh, John MacArthur said. Yeah. Uh, Jameson Fawcett and Brown commentary says, uh, where am I now? Uh, verse 42. He says, the stone which the boulders rejected is a bright messianic prophecy. This is what um, Jameson Fawcett and Brown's commentary says. This is a bright messianic prophecy which reappears in favorite and various forms and was made glorious use of by Peter before the Sanhedrin. Remember we, when he was uh, in the book of Acts, verse 11, and he recurs, uh, yeah, he recurs to it uh, in his first epistle as well, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 6. This idea that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, obviously rejected, but, but, and this is the wonderful thing, um, at the end of the day, this chief cornerstone is who Jesus Christ actually is. 
It's so beautiful. So he's the chief cornerstone. It's another description of Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to do, beloved, is we're going to end it right there. Uh, Otherwise, I'm going to continue to go on too long. So um, I hope it's a blessing to you to get to know some of the titles of Jesus Christ, these names or the descriptions of Christ in the Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you've revealed Christ to us in your word. And as we study it, that we can get a revelation of Jesus Christ that becomes clearer and clearer and clearer all the time. As we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Beloved, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and may he give you his peace. God willing, until next time, bye-bye.